0: Greetings comrades, and welcome back to another episode of Chatter in the Skull. And today I've got another jam-packed video for you guys. Got a fantastic show lined up. Can't wait to get into what we have on tap for you. Finally got a slow news week, which gives me the opportunity to talk about something that is important, but not necessarily time-sensitive. So we will talk a little bit about what happened last week. We'll do a little bit of an update on the speaker drama. But I'm going to open up the show really with a rant. I want to rant about something to you guys. Something that really has bothered me and I just wanted to kind of get it out there. And we're going to talk today mostly about whether or not the left wing hates men. I've had a couple of comments in regards to this that I thought would be interesting to have a conversation. Plus there was another YouTuber, the left wing YouTuber by the name of That Dang Dad, who I follow occasionally, who actually did just a couple of days ago. A really good episode or a really good video on why a lot of young men feel alienated from the left-wing political movement so without further ado let us jump into the top of the show rant and what i have for you guys in case you have no idea what this is and i don't blame you i did not learn what this is until very recently this is of course youtube kids and if you guys have not had kids don't have kids you probably have never seen this never interacted with it don't know much about it. It is a section of YouTube made just for kids, so obviously has a lot more stringent regulations in terms of what can be said, what can be shown, that sort of thing. As some of you may know, I may have mentioned this once or twice, that I myself have a kid, and she has now just entered the era of YouTube kids. Usually she would just watch her shows. She would just watch Pop Patrol, Bluey, or Monsters, Inc, or whatever else. But now all of a sudden she's discovered YouTube and YouTube Kids and I have learned there's a, some very weird kind of subgenres of YouTube videos on YouTube Kids. The one that weirds me out the most is it's extremely popular. These videos get millions and millions of views. It's like an adult playing with Paw Patrol and like Marvel figurines and like making up a little playtime skit or whatever with them and yeah my my kid for whatever reason just loves this crap she just loved watching other people other adults play with paw patrol toys so whatever she can watch it she's sitting there she's eating her cereal watching her the one thing she was watching is her favorite one is this video where all this guy does is he just takes like play-doh and he pushes out stills or molds of paw patrol characters and then it shows it oh look it's, Ryder, it's Zuma, it's whatever but anyway she loves this, I don't know why, she just loves watching these Play-Doh molds turn into Paw Patrol characters. So she's watching that, doing her thing, enjoying herself, and then because it's just autoplay, autoplays to the next video. So I'm just letting the autoplay play, the next video comes on, it's another one of these like playtime things or, or whatever. Seems simple enough, seems fair enough. I'm not actively watching these videos, I'm just in the same room, I'm on my phone or whatever, doing my own thing. So I think nothing of it. And at the end of the video, I hear somebody come on, like a narrator or whatever, whoever made the video, come on at the end and says something like, Thank you for watching this video. I'd now like to spend the last couple minutes of this video talking about Jesus Christ and how great Jesus is. And of course, I was none too thrilled about that prospect of being a non-religious person myself. And so I immediately shut off the video, moved to something else. And then just kind of like stewed in my own anger for a little bit because this is supposed to be for kids right this is a venue for kids like learn their abcs learn to wash their hands learn to be nice to people that kind of crap the last thing you want in one of these for kids videos is religious propaganda of course i reported the video i don't think they'll do anything because again this video had like millions of views i'm assuming hopefully other people have reported it for inappropriate content for kids but we'll see what happens there but the thing that pisses me off the most about this incident is if you just pause and if you just imagine you can probably hear the collective heads of conservatives exploding if there was a video out there or i made a video and at the end of it i said something like thank you for watching the video now let me spend a couple minutes at the end of the video talking to you about the importance of supporting rights for the lgbtq plus community can you imagine what they would do oh my god your rumors you're trying to corrupt kids blah 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 blah, blah. even though that this is at best the exact same but in my opinion much much worse because promoting religious ideals out there is actively harming kids whereas just saying hey LGBTQ plus people exist and you should respect them is just a basic point of human decency but yeah I'm going to go out on a limb and going to say that probably no conservatives got mad over the fact that there was a little bit of religious propaganda at the end of that video. In fact, they probably support and want more stuff like that, which of course, in my opinion, models them as perfect hypocrites. Anyway, that's all I got on this. I just want to talk about how I find this idea of putting religious propaganda on YouTube kids to be absolutely abhorrent, and yeah, if you are using this platform, just make sure to watch yourself and report any videos that you think are inappropriate. So before we get into the bigger topic of the day, let us just briefly touch on what happened last week, which is Kevin McCarthy's very difficult road to the speakership. We spent a lot of time talking about that in the last episode. He actually did manage to eventually get over the threshold after 15 ballots, he did it. The mad lad did it. And I, I thought it was unlikely after four or five days of negotiation that he was actually going to be able to get across the finish line. Because I figured that if he was gonna be able to offer these holdouts anything, he would have done it early. But eventually they were able to strike a deal late on last it had been last Thursday evening, just before Friday where the daily episode comes out on the day that he was elected speaker. They cut some sort of deal with the uh, so-called Freedom Caucus. These are the people who represent the Tea Party, Far Ray, whatever, whatever you want to say, however you want to classify it. These were the holdouts, So he managed to strike a deal with most of them on Friday evening. And obviously, he's given a ton of concessions to the right wing. One thing I mentioned, or I wanted to mention in the last episode as well, obviously, I don't respect the politics of these people and what they are fighting for. I do respect the fact that they are actually able to stand up and say, no, we're not going to elect you unless you do something for us. And I certainly wish that more left-leaning progressive types were willing to go to bat and fight for their ideals on the House floor. The one thing though that we talked about again in the last episode is that usually these kind of outside Republicans have a a lot more support through outside organizations and funding than anti-establishment left-wing people. They usually don't have that kind of support to back them up, which makes it harder to fight. Either way, after giving a ripping number of concessions to the right wing, Kevin McCarthy was able to get the speakership. I put a little comment in the last video, which is basically what happened, that once he was able to secure that deal with the Freedom Caucus, the super hardcore holdouts, there was about six of them, could just vote present, and then McCarthy would become the speaker, This would, in essence, allow both sides to save a little bit of face and end the logjam. And that's exactly what happened. However, not without a little bit of drama first. So let's go down here. I want to specifically talk about the 14th ballot. Yeah, the 14th ballot just before McCarthy was elected speaker. You have Matt Gates come out there. Looks like he's going to get across the threshold. Looks like he's going to do it. He's going to make it. And then Matt Gates comes out and he votes present. And it just like fucks the whole thing up. This was the moment where you see guys go the whole like self like, robin, rubbing, robin, rubbing. The everyone's like freaking out in the chamber, they're murmuring, they're doing their thing. Like a fist fight was actually gonna break out between Matt Gates and some of these people. Bad. It was it was funny. It was funny that he just wasted everybody's time for that 14th ballot. But eventually they got his ass in gear and he voted present for the 15th which allowed him to get over the threshold by one vote. So Kevin McCarthy is officially the Speaker of the House. He must be at least the weakest speaker I've seen in my lifetime. Doesn't exactly have the stunning mandate of his party. So I imagine that his tendership is going to be rocky and fraught with a lot of issues. Although the one thing I will say is I was thinking about this from like almost like a dark Machiavellian perspective in the sense that I don't think that Bobard and Gates and all these other holdouts have done the smart thing from a Machiavellian perspective, because one of the things that Machiavelli says that if you're going to deal a blow to your political enemies, you either need to basically hurt them so bad that they can never recover or basically play patty cakes, Mamby Pamby come to some sort of compromise because if you just hurt them, you severely wound them, but it's a wound from which they can recover. They will always have that bitterness and resentment and be waiting to stab you in the back and that is what i think is coming for a lot of these people they have not dealt the sort of mortal blow to their political opponents so instead with this whole charade i'm imagining that a lot of these people who are not particularly pleased with their conduct are going to just go into the dark go into the back and just keep sharpening their knives and just waiting for that one moment that they can exact their revenge and i think that's going to bring us to the end of our little talk about kevin mccarthy's journey to the house speaker and we're going to get into the main subject of today which is does the left hate men is the left doing enough to prevent young men from moving to the right what can we do about that kind of thing and there's been a lot of discourse about this like i said i've received some comments and there's been a couple really good youtube videos talking about this recently And i think it would be time to kind of unpack some of these ideas and thoughts a little bit more yes we have looked into the red pill the atmosphere and stuff like that before but today what i really want to do is start looking at these from a more political perspective rather than a personal one so the first question is is this actually true does the left hate man does the left hate masculinity the answer is of course a resounding no however the perception is out there and in many cases the perception can just be as bad as the actual thing itself. And even if it's not real, we should do things to alleviate and counteract that perception people have. Like for example, if we just go right here, does the left hate men into Google, we can see that there is a swash of articles from lots of different times. Some of them are 2021, some of them are 2020, some of them are even older, like this Washington Post opinion from 2018, why can't I hate men? The Southern Poverty Law Center, they have an article on male supremacy. Another one from here from a French writer from 2020 is from The Guardian. We should have the right not to like men, that sort of stuff. And let's be real here, guys. Let's call it out right here. This shit, like, we should have the right not to like men. We should be able to hate men. Why can't I hate men? That shit is fucking toxic. And there's no kind of mental gymnastics you can use. There's no way you can rationalize yourself out of that being a toxic mentality, and it needs to die. It needs to die yesterday. And I guess this is probably going to be my hottest take of the video, which is I don't think that there has been anything more damaging to left-wing causes in my lifetime than this toxic attitude because it has been used and weaponized by conservatives to basically flip tons of men over to the right wing of the political spectrum. And to continue this conversation, I want to highlight a comment I got last week. Originally, I was just going to message this guy normally because a normal YouTube comment, but I thought it would actually be better to kind of highlight it and have a larger conversation about some of the things that he said. So let me bring it up right here. This is our highlighted comment for the day. This comes from Killachow23, and he's mentioning at 28.50, That was the point where i was talking about that wall street journal article we brought up about the 2022 midterms that showed that young men of not just white young men but black young men and latino young men were moving rightwards at an alarming rate and it's something that i think we definitely need to discuss and maybe take a little bit of time for some self-reflection so what does kill Chow say he says as a guy who has been mostly left-leaning my entire life i have become very angry with how the left has treated me since becoming an adult. I'm 25. I don't like being told I'm toxic because I want to be physically fit and to be educated and to try and be strong for my friends and family. For the last five to eight years, anytime I have been around people that are left-leaning, I have been ostracized and looked at as the enemy just for being white and just for being male. I watched girls from my high school get scholarships that I was denied when they had much lower scores than me because the universities wanted more girls and minorities. It doesn't surprise me at all that young men of all races are flocking to the right these days because the left hates them just for existing. Quite frankly, it's blatant sexism and it's group-based revenge that they pass off as justice for what white men did from the past long before I was born. I am not guilty for segregation, slavery, the R word, or the supposed oppression of women. I'm sick of being treated like I am. Furthermore, I am angry that this has caused the right to gain more votes because the Republican neocons are responsible for so much damage in the U.S. in the 2000s and the political violence of the Trump era. So the first thing I want to say is that I am incredibly sorry that this has happened to you. Left-wing people should not be treating other people like that under any circumstances. And not only that, the whole idea of gatekeeping your ideology or saying that some people can't be part of your ideology because... There are certain gender or race is incredibly stupid but what i will say is that from my own personal perspective i have never actually experienced anything like this in left-wing political circles this is obviously not saying that it doesn't happen this is saying for me personally i have not experienced this kind of feeling of ostracization or not being wanted as part of left-wing circles again most of my political interactions have not been online for the past five years they have been in person face to face in an area where the left is not very powerful. This is I live in a predominantly right-leaning area. The conservative politics are extremely strong here. So usually when you join a left-wing organization they're like, "Oh my god, you know, your political discourse isn't a fuck Trudeau bumper sticker on your truck. Oh, my, come on in." Maybe it's kind of this beggars can't be choosers sort of mentality. So left-leaning organizations in areas where the right is strong are just going to take anybody because there's a lot of causes that need to be fought for there's a lot of work to be done and not a lot of people to do it there i've noticed that they've been very welcoming here personally where i do think you will start to see this attitude manifest itself more often is actually in areas where the left is quite powerful i'm not sure where akila chow lives. However, I'm imagining, let's just say, he lives in an area that is pretty left-leaning, has more left-leaning people, in those kind of circumstances, you do get a lot more of the whole purity spirals, the whole more dogmatic and abrasive about their ideas and beliefs. And here, where I live, that happens on the conservative end because the conservatives are very powerful. When people who want to get involved And the conservative political movement here want to join an organization. They want the most conservative of the conservative type of people, right? They will gatekeep people who they don't think are conservative enough out of the organization. So, yeah, I do think that that kind of attitude is more prevalent in areas where the left is quite powerful. And just as the same type of thinking permeates on the conservative side in areas where the conservatives are more powerful. This story here really amplifies for me what I would say is the most toxic and detrimental thinking on the left. I think that both the left and the right are susceptible to a certain type of extremely detrimental and extremely toxic thinking, which messes up their politics to the nth degree. For the right, they are extremely weak against conspiracy type of thinking. They are very weak to being pulled in by conspiracy, by viewing the world through a conspiracy lens i think this is because the right really likes grand narratives they are very very fond of grand narratives they're also fond of invisible forces things like the invisible hand of the market or of course the invisible forces of god doing his thing in our earthly mortal plane this for them is their very dangerous and detrimental thinking and we have seen it spiral out of control particularly in the last two or three years with things like the 2020 election denial things like vaccine denial that sort of thing has been very prominent on the right but for the left we are weak to another type of thinking it is not conspiratorial thinking however you could argue it is just as detrimental and just as toxic we are very susceptible to what i call zero-sum thinking so what exactly is zero-sum thinking zero-sum thinking is this idea that there is only a very limited amount of resources and that we have to essentially be maximizing them as best as we can and anything less is essentially failing the struggle failing the cause of the left-wing politics so for example in your story here you talk about how people would get angry at you for wanting to work out or wanting to be physically strong or physically fit or thinking you're toxic for that and that is definitely zero-sum thinking because the thinking is is that you as a non-marginalized person are taking this resource this time that you have and not spending it in the struggle or in the fight to empower marginalized groups and this is of course extremely toxic because that's not the way the real world works the real world works in a way that we can generate more than the resources we have In fact, I think it's very sad to see this type of thinking in left-wing circles, because for me, my belief, and I think that for a lot of left-wing people, the big driving factor for us is we believe in people, I believe in people, and I believe in the goodness of humanity. And most importantly, I believe that when two people work together, when two people are actually in a strong synergistic relationship, what they produce and what they're capable of is more than the sum of its parts, right? When you get people together, working together in a really powerful and cohesive way, what they're able to do is far greater than what they could do individually. And it makes me so sad when I hear this kind of stuff coming from the left, because again, it it is just not the way the world works. And you are basically not adhering to one of, I think, the most valuable principles of left-wing politics, which is this idea that people working together are more powerful and more productive than individuals. The thing that I'd really remind these people who are, for example, angry at you for working out or wanting to be physically fit is first off, all of our struggles are entangled, right? My struggle is entangled, your struggle is entangled with the struggle of every other working class person on the planet. And if I want to continue to fight for those ideals and fight for working class people, I need to be strong myself so I can uplift myself and from that I can uplift other people. And the thing that is really detrimental on both the left and the right for what I these extreme forms of toxic thinking that is detrimental to their politics is it really turns off normies, right? Conspiracy crap turns off normies like that, turns them off so fast. But zero-sum thinking will turn off normies in time because what it comes off as is spiteful and bitter and essentially trying to take from somebody to give to yourself and people don't like that and so the way I always try and frame my socialistic arguments is that it's a hand up it's not a handout that I want to bring people up to a higher point in life I don't want to take people who are up here and necessarily push them down here although I definitely think for the people at that tippy top there's really nothing we can do sorry guys, sorry, 100 billionaires, gonna maybe have to knock you down to $5 billion type of thing, but you'll still be okay. But my point remains is that the overwhelming majority of left-wing politics needs to be pointed at taking people up and not pushing other people down because pushing other people down is where you get into that zero-sum thinking and it starts to turn people off big time. And honestly, in my personal life, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has been a I left the left kind of guy when I talk about men in my life moving to the right is almost exclusively in fact I would say it's pretty much entirely except for people who have been right and moved further has been people who have been apolitical moving to a right-wing perspective I maybe know one person personally in my life who is like a I left the left type of person but I didn't know them before they left the left type of thing I am just going off of what they have told me before I met them, that they used to be a left-wing person, and now they're a right-wing person. So I can't personally vouch for that, but that is the closest in my personal life I've ever come to meeting a I left the left type of person. And the thing is, I, I do feel that a lot of these people who have left the left were not super adherent to the cause anyway, because here's the thing. If somebody treats me like crap, that's not going to change my political principles it's not going to change my political philosophy even if it's somebody on my own side i'm going to say you're a fucking asshole i don't want to deal with you anymore and i'm going to continue fighting for what i believe is right and stuff like i think providing scholarships on a favorable basis to women and minorities is definitely anti-socialist the reason for that being is because we want to create a society in which things like gender privilege white privilege wealth privilege these things are impossible on the basis of the way society is structured. Quite frankly, the way we have our current neoliberal society, I don't see a way in which you can ever address these grievances because, like we talk about, like left-wing people talk about, they are systematically embedded into the system. So unless we're actually talking about systematic change, all this kind of we're gonna snip around the edges type of thing you're just kind of you're moving chairs around on like titanic so to speak before i move on i just want to talk about how i kind of view myself and view things through my own lens i remember that there was this quote i heard a long time from i was a guest on tim pole's show that made me laugh so hard and now knowing like the, the way that this story has turned out it's even funnier now i'll never forget i don't know if you remember this guy jack murphy he used to go on the tim cast show all the time. And then he kind of had a very public implosion around this time last year and now no one's seen the height or hair of him since but i remember on the show he said that marxism is inherently anti-masculine and i just thought that was not just a very politically ignorant thing to say a very misunderstanding of ideology of politics and of marxism in general but the way (laughs) marxism views the world and views people isn't even necessarily in like a gendered sense, and that's kind of the way that I think about the world and the way I think about myself is I very rarely reference myself as oh I'm a I'm a guy I'm I'm mainly I'm a dude or a white guy or whatever you want to say that's not the way I view myself I've always viewed myself through the lens of my political fights through what I believe in through what's important to me. And these are things that you can of course change and may potentially evolve over time. You may become stronger, you may become smarter, you may become more convinced in your ideals and principles. But for me, it's very important not to really base my internal identity over things which I don't really have a lot of control over, don't really have a lot of control over my gender, don't really have a lot of control over my skin color, but I do have a lot of control over the things that I think are worth fighting for and the causes that I believe should be championed. And I don't know, I've always felt this kind of like attitude of being like, I'm a manly man, this is my identity, I'm a masculine macho man type of thing. I've always felt it to be super weird and cringe. It Definitely has a lot of that insecurity vibes coming from it. And I think like we talked about this in our relationship episode as well, that this insecurity is very much so driving a lot of the manosphere red pill type of movement and if there's anything that women don't like and turns women off i think insecurity is one of the number one things that is my biggest tip to guys out there who want to get laid want to fight a girlfriend my biggest thing that i can say to them is the more comfortable you become with your own sexuality, the more comfortable you become with your own gender, the more comfortable you become with your own body, the more comfortable you become around sex and talking about sex, the more sex you will have. It's just that simple. The more comfortable you become with the concept, the more comfortable people around you will be talking about the subject and maybe potentially engaging in it with you as well. So now I wanna jump over to a video here from a content creator by the name of That Dang Dad. I think me and this guy probably honestly have a lot in common. During that, we're both dads. It seems like he used to be in law enforcement. I am still in it. Obviously, we have left-wing values. The main difference is he talks about he grew up conservative and became left-wing. I've just been left-wing my entire life and haven't really changed too much from that position. In any case, it's a very interesting video. I encourage you guys all to check it out. may I leave it in the pinned comment at the top of the video. I'm not going to play it. I'm going to encourage you guys to just check it out yourself. But there's a couple of points that he makes in the video that I want to jump off from. So one is he talks about in the left, there are essentially two factions that are viewing this issue of how the left should treat young men. And the one faction is essentially, he calls it like the Caudal faction. They want to bring young men in and say, you're great. You're awesome. You're the best. And we should be supporting you. And then of course there is the uh, the no coddle zone the people who say young men are still responsible and we still live in a system which is patriarchal and puts men on top and because of that young men shouldn't be coddled type of thing and they shouldn't be catered to because they are still in positions of power personally i vehemently disagree with that position i do think that by and large though the one thing that men don't want is men do not want to be coddled i've never met man that's like, I want to be coddled type of thing. And the thing is, I think we can definitely support young men, make sure they feel welcome within the political movement. And the only thing we really need to do is just not be outright hostile to them. That would be a really great start is people not being outright hostile to young men for seemingly limited reasons. Because not all young men get to go on and become these kind of oppressors. The oppressors, A, are a very small select group of people that have political power and b most of them yes do happen to be men most of them do happen to be white not very many of them are young we'll say that they happen to be usually pretty old or maybe middle-aged what i think the rights message really is is like if you work if you grind 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 you can maybe become one of those tier of men be one of the ones at the top of the pyramid with the money and the women and call them the shots type of thing But realistically all that happens when you fall into that message is you basically just grind yourself into nothing for an organization that didn't care about you in the first place a lot of these people on the top are trying to keep and secure their power in fact over my entire lifetime i've only seen money and power go one way up i have never seen power come back downwards i've never seen more people be allowed into the political system be allowed to make more political judgments, be allowed to exercise their will in a more congruent manner to what they actually feel and what they actually want in society. Everything I have seen is that the people who make it just become less less and less and less and less and less in number. And what I think the right is saying is, yeah, you can still make it if you, like I said, if you grind hard, but really it's just these people who are exploiting the hard work of others beneath them. And I think what the left really needs to make clear to young men and make clear that they themselves understand is that the overwhelming majority of men, and particularly young men, are not part of this power structure. And yes, this power structure does exploit them, it does hurt them, and it does marginalize them. Well, yes, it doesn't hurt them or marginalize them on the same level as, say, for example, a trans person. That doesn't mean that the struggle doesn't exist, and that in a lot of cases, our struggles aren't intertwined together. And most importantly of all, you improving yourself does not mean that you are taking away from anybody else. This is something that needs to die. We cannot let self-improvement be the domain of the right because essentially you're just going to get a bunch of ineffective people. One thing that I've noticed on a personal level is that I, as I have started to exercise more, my sort of a stamina bar is growing and growing and growing and growing, almost like a video game, if you will. And with that larger stamina bar, I can do a whole lot more in one day than I used to be able to with a small stamina bar. So if you want someone who is actually capable of fighting on behalf and vigorously fighting on behalf of marginalized people, they need to have that big, strong stamina bar so they can keep going. And there's no way to build that without self-improvement, essentially, or at least exercise and working on yourself. And again, I've always wondered why this message gets focused in on men, because this is something that can literally benefit everybody of every gender, of every race. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet, doing self-improvement, working on yourself, exercising, building up that stamina bar is going to make you feel better. And it's going to make you stronger and it's going to make you more willing to fight for what you think is important, regardless of what your political persuasion happens to be. So while I do, for the most part, am on the coddle men side or whatever you want to say, I, I do agree with him that it's much more complicated than that. And like I said, I don't think men necessarily really want to be coddled anyway. They just want to feel like, particularly young men, they want to feel like they're part of the struggle and that they are contributing something valuable to it. And then another point that he makes that I think is very good and very poignant and I want to talk about here is this idea of solidarity that young men particularly need to start building up solidarity with other marginalized groups because as young men feel like they have been become more marginalized and in many cases, that is the truth because the people who actually are winners in society and who get to actually have the power, have the money, have the control is getting smaller and smaller, and smaller, 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 like we talked about before. So that means more people are getting kicked out of the inner circle and they're becoming part of the marginalized, outside group. And as he mentions that people who have been marginalized for years are a lot more effective at fighting back against that marginalization than people who haven't been. So it's important for young men to find common ground with other marginalized groups and experience that kind of solidarity of everybody working together for common good, for the benefit of us all, and not just maybe the benefit of one small subgroup. And I really do think that the left is kind of undergoing a period of change right now and it is becoming sort of less woke or de-wokenizing, if you want to say. I don't think that that's a real word, but we'll go with it. But it's not like the left is deciding we're not going to talk about these issues around race or marginalized groups. These are still always going to be important to us and we're still always going to fight for them. But our message is being retooled for something that is a little bit more holistic than just focusing on specific groups. And what's funny is I think on the right, it's actually kind of happening in the opposite direction. That their message is becoming more and more focused on very specific groups, one of those groups being young men. In fact, I'll never forget this. This is one of the weirdest experiences that I ever had in my life, where I was talking with a right-wing guy and he said to my face, why are you left-wing? You're a white guy. You should be right-wing. He didn't say straight white guy. I I thought for sure that he was going to throw something like that in there. But no, it was just, you're a white guy. You should be right wing. And it's essentially because, you know, the left hates you, blah, 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 blah. So it's weird. It's like almost the right is feeling like it's entitled to the support of young men in a way that some people would argue that the left has come off as that they are entitled to the support of marginalized groups. And the last thing I want to bring up about the That Dang Dad's video before we go to our feel good story and and episode for the day is when he talks about how we shouldn't let these kind of manosphere, red pillars, Andrew Tate kind of guys tell us what masculinity is. Tell us what true masculinity is. Not only because it's obvious that these clowns have no idea what true masculinity is, but the fact of the matter is that at this point in human evolution, we really get to decide what masculinity is for ourselves. That no one can decide for you what a true man is. You get to decide that for yourself. And I don't know about you guys, but I find that choice and that freedom way more compelling and way more powerful than this very narrow prescribed vision of what masculinity is. That's always been another big pet peeve of mine when anybody, not just the other man or or women will be like, you know what a real man is? The real man is the guy who takes care of his women and who does the dishes and who is nice all the time and is a gentleman, blah, 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 whatever. Get out of here. Get out of here. You don't get to decide what a real man is. Sorry, that would be like me going, you know what a real woman is? A real woman stays in the kitchen and makes her man a sandwich every day. That is the exact thing that you're doing right now but just towards men it's the exact type of mentality it's the exact type of thinking and it's just as cringe anyway all i'm saying don't let some ball-headed fuck who has been now arrested for human trafficking tell you what a real man is because i don't know if, if he gets to decide what a real man is we are really fucked guys we are we are totally screwed In any case, I think I've rambled on enough and I've said everything that I wanted to say about this particular subject. I just really want to bring up that dang dad's video. I found it very fascinating, really interesting conversation, touched on some of the points that we talked about here, and I wanted to use them to kind of elaborate on some more points and some more issues that we were speaking about today. So again, I'm going to leave that video in the description section, or excuse me, in the comments section. Highly encourage you guys to go and check it out. All right, comrades, we're going to end our show today on a feel-good story. I got one for you guys this week. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, unironically, which is rice. I love rice. I cook with a ton of rice in this house. It is my favorite grain by far. I love to create all kinds of different curries, stir fries, fried rice, whatever. Any way you can imagine using rice, I have used it. I always have multiple different types of grains of rice in my house to cook depending on what type of dish I'm cooking so I can choose the appropriate grain. I have a theory too when it comes to rice, which is the reason why countries in Asia have been able to support such large populations in comparison to the West is because of rice. Because think about it, when it comes to growing rice, you grow it, you don't even need to mill it, although you obviously can and should the reason you mill rice is when you harvest the rice it's basically brown rice the white kernel is in that little brown sort of casing and then by milling it you remove that brown casing and basically all that that does is of course you get that nice white grain but realistically it makes it so that the rice is effectively imperishable it will have an extremely long shelf life whereas if you leave that brown casing on of course you can still eat the rice but it will eventually go bad So yeah you harvest the grains you mill them or not but most people obviously milled them and then of course you basically just add water to it and cook it and then of course you've got a meal ready to go which you can then serve with vegetables or protein or what have you whereas with grain obviously the process to turn grain into bread is a lot more extensive you have to harvest the grain Then, of course, the milling process is a lot more intensive as you have to mill it and grind it down into fine flour, whereas with the rice, you need to get the exterior grain off. So, yeah, take the flour, turn it into a dough, and then, of course, cook the dough, and then your bread is only edible for a week before it starts to go bad. So, obviously, there's a lot more labor-intensive processing when it comes to turning grain into flour versus just harvesting grains of rice and cooking them in a pot some water anyway that's just a theory i thought i'd share with you guys that the reason why Asia is so populated in comparison to the rest of the world is because rice is so much easier to turn into a staple food stuff than grain in any case let's jump into our actual story here this is from january 10th of this year this comes from the university of california davis essentially what these scientists have managed to do is create a hybrid rice strain The main thing about this rice is that it is made so it's a higher yield than regular rice. And on top of that, it's more disease resistant. So you get more rice and less rice will die. Obviously a pretty big deal. So let's dive into the story a little bit more. An international team has succeeded in propagating a commercial hybrid rice strain as a clone through seeds with 95% efficiency. This could lower the cost of the hybrid rice seed making high-yielding, damage-resistant rice strains available to low-income farmers worldwide. First-generation hybrids of crop plants often show higher performance than their parent strains, a phenomenon called hybrid vigor. But this does not persist if the hybrids are bred together for a second generation. So when farmers want to use high-performing hybrid plant varieties, they need to purchase a new strain every season rice the staple crop for half the world's population is relatively costly to breed as a hybrid yield for a minor improvement of about 10 percent this means that the benefits of rice hybrids have yet to reach many of the world's farmers so that's pretty interesting that's actually something that i just learned now this idea of hybrid vigor that hybrid plants will produce a higher yield for the first season but obviously that's not something that continues but let's we'll see if they have actually found a way around that. One solution would be to propagate hybrids as clones that would remain identical from generation to generation without further breeding. Many wild plants can produce seeds that are clones of themselves called approxims. Once you have the hybrid, you can introduce aproxims and then plant it every year. Oh, very interesting. However, the transferring of aproxims to a major plant has proved difficult to achieve. In 2019, a team led by Professor Sanderson and Assistant Professor Kahadney in the UC Davis Department of Plant Biology and Plant Sciences achieved approximate in rice plants with about 30% of the seeds being cloned. The single step process, which involves modifying three genes called MinMe, which caused the plant to switch from mitosis, the process which the plant uses to form egg cells, to mitosis, which is when the cell divides into two copies of itself. Another gene modification introduces proxims. The result is that a seed can grow into a plant genetically identical to its parent. So basically, they're saying that they are going to clone that first hybrid vigor plant and just use that one forever, essentially to, to create a higher yield of rice. Super interesting stuff here. This method would allow seed companies to produce hybrid seeds more rapidly and a larger scale, as well as providing a seed that farmers could save and replant from season to season. Approxims in crop plants have been the target of worldwide research for over 30 years because it can make hybrid seed production that can become accessible to everyone, Sanderson said. The resulting increase in yields could help meet global needs of an increasing population without having to increase the use of land. Very, very, very big stuff here. Very good stuff, in my opinion. The results could be applied to other food crop centers and said, in particular, rice is a genetic model for other cereal cr- crops, including maize and wheat that together constitute the major food staples of the world. So basically, pretty interesting stuff here that they are finding a way to create rice hybrids that can be used time and time and time again to create more rice for more people. So obviously, this is a big breakthrough. Rice, as I said in the article, is the staple crop for about 50% of the world's population and is obviously a very important foodstuff for literally billions of people. And having cheaper rice will obviously mean that more people can be fed and can be safe. And we can do this in a more sustainable way because these higher yield plants won't necessarily require more land and more fertilizers. Fun fact about rice patties if you guys have ever wondered why they grow rice in those kind of big ponds, essentially, where the rice stalks are submerged in about a foot of water, the reason actually isn't for the rice. It's because that kills basically all of the weeds that could harm the rice that would grow around it, whereas the rice can actually survive in that environment where the weeds can't. So it's not anything to do with the rice itself but rather this is a method for weed control so in any case looks like we might have more rice coming to us in the future so i suggest you guys all go out and buy a rice cooker and learn how to cook delicious delicious meals with nothing but rice and a few other ingredients and with that dear comrades we can end our second episode of chatter in the skull for 2023 i hope you guys enjoyed it it was a little bit of a fun episode talk about stuff that isn't necessarily happening right now but some more type of high-minded ideas and concepts and things that i think are relating to a lot of you guys and relating to me as well so with that i want to thank you guys for watching this has been to comrade signing off for now and until next week you guys take care